Good morning. Welcome to Thy Strong Word. I'm Pastor A.J. Espinosa. We're reading the entire Bible together, one chapter at a time. And here, it's one chapter, but you get three oracles. We get the trifecta this morning. We've got an oracle concerning, and this is really interesting, right? It doesn't actually give you a name that you're familiar with. It says, an oracle concerning the wilderness of the sea. And you, you just kind of hear that and you're like, well, what does that even mean? So are we at sea on, on a boat or are we in the wilderness and like in the desert? So so that's a very interesting way to start off this chapter, Isaiah chapter 21. And then you get two more. You get an oracle concerning Duma and you get an oracle concerning Arabia. So an interesting turn here after we've had all of these different oracles concerning or relating to the different nations and today we get these three and so we have some questions like okay so what is the sea wilderness oh it says babylon is fallen but i mean babylon fell like half a dozen times so which time are we talking about and where are these other places this duma and this arabia so just kind of a lot of just kind of what are we talking about in a basic sense before then we go and take the next step of saying, okay, then what's the application for us? So joining us today, I'm very happy to to announce we actually have one of the regular guests, I believe, from Sharper Iron, but here he is with us. We get him all to ourselves this morning, and so we are definitely blessed here on Thy Strong Word. We've got Pastor Zelwyn Heidi, pastor at Redeemer Lutheran Church in Grassy Butte, North Dakota, and also St. Peter Lutheran Church in Belfield, North Dakota. Welcome, brothers. So good to have you on for the first time. Welcome, and looking forward to getting into another one of these kind of obscure chapters here in Isaiah. Well, it's good to be on, and thank you for having me as well. Yeah, you're you're definitely right on the obscure part. This is not going to be an easy chapter to deal with, but we we should have a good time. I think we'll have fun picking it apart. So, yeah. Where do you want where yeah. do you want to start with it? Well, yeah, I know there's <laughs> this is a, one of these uh one of these that doesn't occur in the lectionary and if it did, you would <laughs> be very bold to make your sermon based on it. But uh <laughs> <laughs> and, and even bolder to try to give a children's message based on it. But <laughs> I hear you. But, I hear you. But uh yeah, well yeah, I'm look yeah, looking forward to it picking it apart, I think is a good way because you're gonna have to kinda dissect it and say, Okay, let's kinda go line by line here. So um as one of my favorite quotes uh, goes, I think we should start at the beginning, and when we get to the end, I think we'll stop. So um, if, that, <laughs> if that sounds like a good plan of action to you, but uh, before we get started, would you say a prayer for us and for everybody listening as we you know, try to focus our minds here on this Monday morning and wrap our arms around this chapter before us? Sure. Lord God, Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time that we spend in your word, and we pray that you would show us the meaning of that word, even though we may not fully understand it first. We know that all truth comes from you, and we look to you this day for that truth. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen. Thank you. All right. Well, let's go ahead and just read the first part here, and we can try to take into consideration a couple of these, um, you know, try to consider, okay, where is this in the context of things? Um, how is this starting out? So I'll just read the first few verses here and we can kind of look at some of those basic questions. So here it is, Isaiah chapter 21, beginning with the first verse. 
The Oracle Concerning the Wilderness of the Sea As whirlwinds in the Negev sweep on, it comes from the wilderness, from a terrible land. A stern vision is told to me, the traitor betrays, and the destroyer destroys. Go up, O Elams, lay siege, O Media, all the sighing she has caused I bring to an end. Therefore my loins are filled with anguish, pangs have seized me like the pangs of a woman in labor. I am bowed down so that I cannot hear. I am dismayed so that I cannot see. My heart staggers, horror has appalled me. The twilight I longed for has been turned for me into trembling. They prepare the table, they spread the rugs, they eat, they drink. Arise, O princes, oil the shield. So, um, just, I mean, a dramatic opening to an or this oracle on many levels here. Um, just in terms of, like, we got these whirlwinds. Um, you know, I don't know exactly what's going on here. It's wilderness of the sea, right? And you get the mention here of, um, you know, these different groups, Elam, Media, and, and and the prophet here just saying things like, you know, being seized with anguish, um, you know, being bowed down and staggering. So very, very dramatic uh, entrance here. So uh, what, what do we make of this, this oracle that takes like a very different tone and is kind of cryptically starting off with like this sea wilderness, whatever that means? Sure. Well, the first thing to note, I think, about this passage is in contrast to the oracles or to the pronouncements that have come before, uh, this begins a section that is intensely emotional. And you can kind of see that in, like, you know, the, talking about that writhing and that pain which Isaiah has. And so he's right. speaking in these deeply emotional terms about what it is that the Lord is revealing to him. Mm -hmm. um, and so as we go through that, I think these these very sensual images, this very visceral kind of reaction that Isaiah has is really going to help us understand a little bit of the language that, that's going on here. Um, but regards to the, the very beginning here, the wilderness of the sea, that is, I mean, it is a difficult thing to wrap our minds around, but I, what I think, and you can, we can talk about this, is yeah. this is actually a reference to Babylon. Now, mm -hmm. I know we've talked about Babylon <clears throat> before yeah. in Isaiah, in Isaiah chapter 13, but Isaiah has come back around to Babylon to talk about it again. Um, mm -hmm. And the, the the best explanation I can come up with for why it's called the wilderness of the sea is if you know anything about the geography of the that part of the world, of where Babylon was, in the middle of the two great rivers, the Euphrates and the Tigris, um, that was always a kind of watery marshy kind of area mm -hmm. um and it wasn't really until like the days of cyrus in the, about the 500s um that it's finally fully drained and so that it's able to be used um for for agriculture on a, a much more effective scale and so i think when when isaiah is talking about the wilderness of the sea he's using a very cryptic way admittedly cryptic way of referring to babylon which he finally gets around to mentioning in verse 9, which we haven't read yet. So I do right. think this is a prophecy against Babylon for that reason. What do you think? Yeah, I, I agree. I am, um, you know, and it's interesting. I, I think that, you know, 
we definitely look at this as a little bit cryptic, like that's kind of a weird way of looking at it. But um, I was looking at one of the commentaries and it was saying that actually this is a way of of referring to Babylon in this area anyway, like you were saying in southern Mesopotamia, like where these rivers intersected and there was this, this uh, regular kind of flooding and marshiness. Um, that in Akkadian, this is a, a normal way of referring to this area. And so it, it might be a situation where it's like, which just kind of seems cryptic to us, but like in the context, sure. it would have been kind of like a well-understood way of talking about this place. So if you're, it's interesting though, to, to talk about it, not like by naming it, because he, he does name names, right? He does say like Elam, he does say right. Media, he does say uh, Duma and Arabia later, right? But here right. he refers to it in this other way of talking. So why do you suppose he would use this different term? Yeah, no, that's an excellent question. Um, the prophets do this from time to time. I mean, you get, uh, well, even, even in the New Testament, you get this from time to time when like Jerusalem is referred to as Babylon spiritually, that sort of thing. Right. Um, so, I mean, this, this kind of, oblique way of talking about about whatever they are looking at, I think is just a way of either um, kind of lowering our estimation of Babylon, because Babylon, you know, is kind of this like, oh, it's like scary kind of a thing. But if mm -hmm. you talk about it in some other way, maybe it's making us think less of it. It could also just be a way of, you know, this is what how it was revealed to him. And so he's just speaking what he's been told. Um, mm -hmm. I, it, it can be it can be difficult for our minds to wrap around, sure, but I do think that he has his reasons for it, especially because um, his overall purpose in this section is to show how Babylon is not really a trustworthy, um, Babylon is not trustworthy for Israel. They should not trust it because Babylon right. will eventually fall. Right. Well, well, right. And you, you see that again and again with all these different nations, oracles, right? Like, don't put your trust in Cush. Don't put your trust in Egypt. Don't make an alliance with them. Don't make an alliance with Assyria. I mean, you, you see this kind of just throughout this first part of Isaiah, that they shouldn't be entangling themselves. It's very problematic on a spiritual level, even though it seems politically expedient. And yeah, I, I think that there is something to just you know it's poetry right the the mm -hmm. prophets are poets and so they take a poetic license of describing things in different ways but it does seem that i mean he is it, it complements what he's saying throughout these first several verses because it is very phenomenological it's very sure. it's very much in terms of nature right it's the description of this marshy wilderness it's a description of whirlwinds it's a description of being filled with anguish and writhing and having pangs like labor pangs i mean it's it's very these natural phenomena the kind that 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 just vex you right and so there's there's kind of that all that throughout whether it's you know your your heart is staggering or you're you know filled with pain or you're you know sinking in a marsh or you know falling in a marsh or you're confronted by whirlwinds I think there's something consistent with that kind of frame of mind, if you will. Like this is, as you said, this is a different kind of oracle. Isaiah is like, it's it's a kind of pain that's overtaken him now. And as as I look at all this, the, maybe the thing that stands out uh, more in light of this marshy wilderness in Mesopotamia is 
this mention of whirlwinds. Um, you don't really think about whirlwinds going through, I don't know, inland marshes, do you? Well, and I think what he's doing is he's actually, because he says as uh, whirlwinds in the Negev, and of course mm -hmm. the Negev would be south of Israel, mm -hmm. and he's he's taking this this astronomical, or astronomical, um, this this effect in nature to describe meteorological what it is this, meteorological that's the word I can think of first <laughs> there we go <laughs> um, to describe what's going on in or going to happen to Babylon okay so this whirlwind um, the description of it is is actually describing something else and mm -hmm. that is the approaching army coming up on Babylon so right he he's he is describing here the coming fall militarily of Babylon. Now right. we can ask, you know, which fall and we'll get to that, but go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think, I think, I think that's spot on that, you know, it's, it's in the same way that of course, Isaiah himself is not experiencing labor pains, but um, that's right. a, meta <laughs> that's a metaphor. <laughs> <laughs> so similarly, there's not an actual whirlwind coming and sweeping on, on the Negev. It's, it's an army the sorts of armies that are coming quickly, like we saw in Daniel, where he was describing, you know, the marching armies of the Macedonians that just swiftly, you know, just cut through, cut through like a hot knife through butter, right? The nations of of the world. He described him as a leopard with four wings, just kind of the the fastest, scariest thing you could possibly imagine. Like, man, lepers are fast. You put wings on them, now they're really fast. You know, really. <laughs> it's it's just an image of of uh, the speed, right, of coming on. So, um, yeah, I think I think that makes good sense of it. I guess the other last question before we leave this part is: Okay, who is Elam and Media? Because you know, speaking of Daniel, those are those are actually some names that we've we've seen in Daniel. But so, who are they, and what's the significance of Isaiah bringing them up here with the fall of Babylon? Yeah, well, and Elam and Media, of course, are names for parts of the regions which is called Persia, um, and so they were continuously they were always kind of a thorn in Babylon's side. And the Lord here is predicting that they will be the cause of one of the falls of Babylon. Um, but the question, of course, here, and maybe this is the question we need to talk about, is which fall? Right. Because Babylon fell more than once. And the the most famous, of course, coming quite a, about, what, more almost 200 years later with the coming right. of Cyrus, mm -hmm. which some people do think this is referring to. But, it, you know, could it refer also to perhaps an earlier fall? I mean, that's... Where, where do you want to go with that? How do you want to break that down? Right. Yeah, no, ex exactly. I think that, well, maybe we can go ahead and just read the next part. Um, and, and that okay. perhaps might illuminate this question, because I think you're right that as you go through, it's like, okay, you got to understand, we think of the Babylonians, we've talked about them a little bit here, that in Isaiah, Isaiah is mostly focusing about the Assyrians. He's really talking about the Assyrian siege and uh, the siege of Jerusalem and the invasion of Judah, the destruction of the neighboring um, nations like Samaria and Damascus and Moab and all the rest. Talking about Assyria during this, this time of the Assyrian Empire, where Babylon is just a little city, a, a province in the mix of all this. I mean, Sargon takes it, right? <clears throat> right. But that when you usually think about Babylon in the context of Scripture, what we're talking about is the Babylonian captivity, the exile, the actual future destruction of not only Judah, but actually the city of Jerusalem and the temple. 
that when you talk about Babylon in that sense, the sense of, you know, Babylon and the book of Revelation, right? We're talking about the Neo-Babylonian Empire, right? And right. so and so I, I think that that's, that's what you were saying with Cyrus, that, you know, that when Cyrus comes, that's kind of the most famous end of, of Babylon because it's the end of the Bab- Neo-Babylonian Empire. And so I think that's kind of the, the big question is, okay, there's lots of different falls of Babylon, but are we talking about the one that we kind of most readily think of when we talk about the, the exile and, you know, the exiles that were in Babylon like Daniel, right? Or are we talking about kind of this earlier stuff that went on with the Assyrians? And in some ways, the verses that come through 6 through 11, uh, through 10, they might help us narrow things down. So let's go ahead and, and give those a read then. Just lay this all out on the table. Um, actually, I think he uses that metaphor about the, the yeah, they prepare the table. There you go. All right, <laughs> verse 6. For thus the Lord said to me, Go, set a watchman, let him announce what he sees. When he sees riders, horsemen in pairs, riders on donkeys, riders on camels, let him listen diligently, very diligently. Then he who saw cried out, Upon a watchtower I stand, O Lord, continually day by day, and at my post I am stationed whole nights, and behold, here come riders, horsemen in pairs. And he answered, Fallen, fallen is Babylon and all the carved images of her gods he has shattered to the ground. O my threshed and winnowed one, what I have heard from the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, I announce to you. All right, so yeah, this is uh, where the whirlwind kind of takes on the more literal form, right? It kind of explains itself that we're talking about an invading army here. Um, It's interesting the way that he uses this, this watchman, uh, motif. You get the same thing in Habakkuk that we had in church on Sunday a couple weeks ago, um, which which might make you think that maybe there's a connection there. But what I mean, what do you, what do you think? I mean, is this here Isaiah talking about um, the same sorts of things that Habakkuk is talking about? Where you get that language? I don't know if we want to look that up. Um, it might be helpful to read that, or is he talking about something else? What what do you think as you've kind of looked at this? what fall of Babylon we might be talking about. Yeah. And this is, I mean, this really is the question. And I guess this is the kind of the way, the conclusion that I've come to regarding this. Mm -hmm. I think that if we're going to try to answer the question of which fall, right? Because obviously um, what Isaiah is talking about, even in the days of Hezekiah, when he has a Babylonian King coming and making an alliance with him, he really is trying to drive home the point that Babylon is not really the trustworthy um, ally that he that he, Hezekiah thinks he could be. And so, yes, this could be referring to an immediate fall within, um, you know, within Isaiah's lifetime or within Hezekiah's lifetime. Um, the one commonly cited would be around 689. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do think that Isaiah, in his prophetic vision here, is including the ultimate fall of Babylon, which, of course, is going to come in 539, which was Cyrus and the the Great Fall. And the reason I come to that conclusion is because uh, this language here, especially in verse 9, is picked up in the book of Revelation. Revelation 14, Revelation chapter 18, uh, where it says, you know, fallen, fallen is Babylon the Great used to describe the fall of the world opposed to the Lord. 
when the Lord will finally have his final victory. So I kind of I kind of see of it as a both and. I don't know if that's a <laughs> <laughs> You know what I mean? Yeah, well, you know, I, I tease people when it, when everyone, everyone says both and cuz I'm like, "Oh, you're you're being a Weasley one on me, are you?" I no, know, um, I know. <laughs> have your cake and eat it too. Um yeah, well, I mean, I think certainly we've talked about this that there there is something very typological about all of this biblical prophecy, right? And so mm-hmm. uh, you know, it, even if even if it did refer to you know like you like you were saying a, a fall that's more within the lifetime of Hezekiah and Isaiah there's no reason why typologically that wouldn't also extend to what was going to happen later with the, the fall of Babylon at the hands of the Persians or the you know the eventual total destruction of of Babylon that's going to happen you know much later centuries after that or in the grander scheme, like you were saying in Revelation, where Babylon kind of takes on the metaphorical significance of the Roman Empire, right? And the forces of evil allied against the people of God, that there's a destruction there that, I mean, in some ways is um, either, you could say, fulfilled in in Christ's first coming as he's demolishing the powers of, of the devil and casting out demons, or ultimately in the very end, right, when there's the final judgment and the lake of fire and all the rest. So, yeah, certainly right. typology kind of opens the door to saying all of the above. Um, I, I do think it's a legit question of kind of like where do you start that chain reaction, though, right? Sure. Like where, where's sure. where's kind of the, the ground zero on that point? And um, I, I do think that the comparison to Habakkuk um, I, I think that that, of course, there's there's questions about when on earth Habakkuk is actually doing his ministry too. I, but I think that the comparison to Habakkuk is helpful. And then the the other note that um, that might be helpful is it is it says here you've got the the Elamites and the Medes, right? Right. That right. that are both in 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 cahoots here. And so that's an interesting thing because, you know, this is part of the messy history of all this stuff. They were different. There were different allies and different little alliances throughout history. And so the fact here that you have the Elamites and the Medes together, um, this has been said that by some scholars anyway, that this rules out um, the Neo-Assyrian period because the Medes would have been the allies of Babylon at the time. And so that would kind of help us narrow things down. Sure. Yeah. So, and uh, yeah, so ahead. in other words, what you're saying is, is that uh, if, if we're ruling out the Neo-Assyrian period, then this is probably looking forward to the Neo-Babylonian. Is that basically what you're trying to say? Well, I think that's that, that's the that's the line that I think you would you would go with that, and so you would like okay. you you would not go with like saying that this is like when Sargon like conquered it, like you know back in like seven ten. Um, okay, this would be referring to something else. So that's you know pushing it towards later, but but then there's the bit about Habakkuk, and and maybe it would just be useful to like actually just read that little bit from Habakkuk there. Um, we had I think we still have like a minute. But we had this, we actually had this in church um, for the Old Testament reading. I think it was like, was it two Sundays ago or something like that? But like in Habakkuk chapter one, right? Um, that, that's what we, that we, what we started up there. And then it was, this is what we had in verse five here. 
Look among the nations and see, wonder and be astounded. For I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe if told. For behold, I am raising up the Chaldeans, that bitter and hasty nation who march through the breadth of the earth to seize dwellings not their own. They are dreaded and fearsome. Their justice and dignity go forth from themselves. Their horses are swifter than leopards, more fierce than evening wolves. Their horsemen press loudly on. Their horsemen come from afar. They fly like an eagle swift to devour. All right, just pause there. Like, very interesting, the swift horseman stuff coming from afar. Like, that's that's already maybe something a little bit similar. But the similarities are going to get even stronger here in verse 11. But we got we to gotta pause to go into a short break. But we'll just hold on to that thought, looking at Isaiah chapter 21 here, looking at this kind of obscure oracle about Babylon on thy strong word. And we'll be right back. As the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose, and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. The prophet Isaiah chapter 55 verses 10 and 11. Begin and conclude your day with the word that accomplishes the purposes for which it is sent. Morning prayer at 7 a.m. and evening prayer at 5 p.m. Weekdays on KFUO. Christ for you anytime, anywhere. The broadcasts of morning prayer and evening prayer are underwritten by Lutherans for Life. Hi, this is Pastor Mark Azil, the LCMS Director of Campus Ministry and the Chancellor of LCMSU, inviting you to join us right here on Wednesdays at 2 p.m. in the Student Union. If you can't make it, Student Union is always available as a podcast at kfuo.org. Learn more about LCMSU at lcmsu.org. And remember, college is tough. You need Jesus. We'll help. Wednesday afternoon at 2 on KFUO. Welcome back, everybody, to Thy Strong Word. I'm Pastor A.J. Espinosa. We're looking at Isaiah chapter 21. We got these three oracles. Yes, there are three, so we will have to actually stop talking about this Babylonian one at some point <laughs> and move on to the others. We're trying to make sense of this here and trying to figure out, so what is Isaiah talking about in the first place? Certainly, there's a long line of things that get applied, but what's it in the first place? We're looking at this here with Pastor uh, Zelwyn Heidi, pastor of Redeemer Lutheran Church in Grassy Butte, and also St. Peter Lutheran Church in Belfield, both in North Dakota. How is it, by the way, in North Dakota? Is it is it still snowing? 
Um, I'm in the western part where it didn't get nearly as much snow, but uh, okay. it isn't snowing today. So, <laughs> <laughs> I, I think I think we had somebody on. Um, it was Pastor Eckstein the last week, and he was saying like it was like he was seeing snow falling, and I'm just like, oh my goodness! Like first week of October, what a what a way to what a way to welcome in fall. Um, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, you know, but but so you know, I mean, I guess it's not like a, a whirlwind here that's being described in Isaiah, but still, you know, like you know, it'd be nice to enjoy a little bit more of the fall before winter's here. But but yeah, we're looking at these um, meteorological phenomena, right? There's <laughs> there's the the phrase that we were both uh, trying straining to remember there. Um, as, as you know, we're looking at all these different things. We're looking at this poetic language, this history. If anybody's listening live here, I know a lot of listeners listening to the podcast, which is which is excellent. And frankly, that's that's how I tend to listen to stuff on KFUO is with the podcast. But if you are listening live here in St. Louis, call in with questions or comments on Isaiah chapter 21, 314-821-0850. Or if you're in North Dakota, say, one eight hundred seven three zero two seven two seven, or you can always send an email to kfuo at kfuo org. So we were looking at the the parallels though between this in Isaiah and this in Habakkuk, and we're so we're looking at the the swift horseman stuff that's there, okay? But but then check this out. So we're still in Habakkuk one, just making the comparison. So then this is verse eleven of, of chapter one. Then they sweep by like the wind and go on, guilty men whose own might is their God. Okay, so there, there we're getting like sweeping like the wind. So it's like even more similar, but then, then the fun part happens in chapter two. So this is what Habakkuk two says then. I will take my stand at my watch post and station myself on the tower and look out to see what he will say to me and what I will answer concerning my complaint. Okay, so then you get the watchtower stuff, watch post stuff. So th there are a lot of similarities um, between um, Habakkuk and Isaiah here. And Habakkuk seems to be describing some kind of, um, you know, I, I don't know, bringing on the Babylonians and some kind of fall here. And so if there is some kind of analogy, Habakkuk does seem to be talking and this is this is also something that you got to argue about, but he kind of seems to be extending what Isaiah was talking about, what you were mentioning earlier that you see later on in Isaiah that there's Babylonians showing up at, to Hezekiah, being like, "Hey, here's some gifts for you," and um, you know, like maybe we should be in alliance, right? And so you do seem to get this what happens later um, after Isaiah with his or not after Isaiah, but after. Um, Hezekiah with his son Manasseh, that that unfortunately Judah does fall again into depravity, to spiritual wandering, that again being lost and no longer guided by the light of God's word. And so in, in this situation, um, the Babylonians um, get brought on. And so is this actually, ironically, um, you know, talking about when the Bab the Chaldeans seize control of Babylon, this is the weird part. Is it talking about when the, the Chaldeans actually are going to seize control of Babylon? That you know that is the Babylonians taking over Babylon, <laughs> not the right. thing that you immediately think of. Um, and, and when they end up at later bringing judgment on on God's people, so 
you know, possibly if you see the parallel in Habakkuk. But then as we were saying before, the problem with that then is like, well, but I thought the Medes were their friends. So, you know, it's just honestly, when I look at it, I'm like, I, I feel like I can see it both ways, honestly. I just, I, 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 don't, I don't think it is both ways. <laughs> I think sure, it's one of sure. them. I think there's a right answer. But I truthfully feel like I just don't know enough about the history um, to, to decide. Um, but but even even in spite of that, though, as we do look at this chapter, I feel like the overarching themes, right, and, and the continuity that you do see with other scriptures like Habakkuk, this idea that, you know, this is an oracle of judgment here against Babylon, but Isaiah is not like cheering on the sidelines, like, yeah, you know, Babylon, you know, they get what they deserve, right? I mean, it's a vision that's like filling him with pain. Um, it's coming on him and it's like violence to him. Um, it's a scary vision, even if it is against the nations. We've seen in previous ones, like with Moab, how God is described in terms of lamentation. So, I mean, in, in all of this, this violent um, reversal, you know, you've got in verse five, the whole preparing a table and they eat and they drink, right? I, I think that the theme is still how God's justice is swift and, and frightening. Um, and it just shows us how small and weak we are. And this really is something that puts everyone on notice even though Babylon is mentioned specifically. And I think that's a, a very fair way of applying this text. Even, you know, because we've been, we've been humming and hawing about, you know, what, which is this actually referring to. And I would even throw in <clears throat> another monkey wrench into this and say, you know, maybe this is the later one because verse five could be a very kind of par a nice parallel with Daniel, yep. uh, with, with, um, with the king sitting in his feast kind of unconcerned and right. then Darius is taken away by the Persians exactly uh, that that same night. So I mean this this idea that the Lord is the one who is in control of the affairs of history that yep. nothing happens apart from him so that even when we see armies on the march even when we see a nation rising and a nation falling we know that all of this is being done under the guiding hand of God for his purposes, which is why I think verse 10 is really the, 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 one of the key parts of this whole chapter saying, you know, my threshed and winnowed one, what I have heard from the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, I announce to you, you know, kind of a, a don't be afraid kind of verse. This mm -hmm. is all going to happen. Yes, it's scary, but it is in the Lord's hands, which I think right. is, is a tremendous comfort for us. Well, yeah, right. And and that when we saw that earlier, I mean, just um, so, I mean, this is interesting that all of this follows that oracle um, about Cush in, in Egypt. Right. Um, and in and, and the previous one, even before that, we had the remarkable phrase, blessed be Egypt, my people um, in Assyria, right. the work of my hands that in, in these oracles, we're, we're getting this really just kind of shocking tone that. Uh, on the one hand, we're, we are, we're all kind of miserable sinners, equally beggars before God, regardless of what nation we come from. And on the other hand, like God is out to bless and to discipline and to look after all the nations, not just Israel. And so this, this, um, this oracle that we have here in Isaiah 21 just continues that, that kind of theme there that, God's God's sovereignty is so universal and 
and, and just personally, just as I read it and I'm like, I can't, you know, because of what you're saying here about verse five, that makes perfect sense. Like with, with Darius, right? It does, it does map onto Daniel too. So it's like, I don't know where to, whether to put this with Daniel or whether to put this with Habakkuk or maybe I just put both of those with Daniel, right? But the thing <laughs> is, it's kind of like for me personally, it's like, the, the fact that I just can't even figure all this stuff out just magnifies how <laughs> how God himself is just over all things and over all history. And I I am really the little man like Job speaking into the whirlwind, right, that Job experienced. And, and God just comes out at me and he's like, you're asking all these questions, but were you there when I made the foundations <laughs> of the world? I am the God of all of history and all the nations. And... You can you can try to understand, but at the end of the day, we gotta we gotta come down to humility more than anything else. Right. Amen. Absolutely. Well, on on that kind of sobered note, then um, we'll just kind of audaciously go forward into Duma and Arabia, um, okay. which I feel like maybe you're in some ways should should be not as. Um, not as hard to pin down, even though they're maybe even more obscure to kind of our, our, our senses, our general kind of sense of like, hang on a second. I'm used to talking about the Assyrians and the Babylonians, but who are these people? Um, right. <laughs> but it, it, maybe it's actually more straightforward here. So let's just read this two verses, two verses for this second Oracle, but let's, let's go ahead and read it and uh, take a look at some of this. So this is verse 11. The oracle concerning Duma, one is calling to me from Seir, watchman, what time of the night, watchman, what time of the night? The watchman says, morning comes and also the night. If you will inquire, inquire, come back again. Yeah, what were so, you saying about it being clear? Well, <laughs> <laughs> well, okay, I, I, okay. Well, I mean, I'll, I'll, um, I mean, we'll, we'll get to that in a second. But okay, I know, let's. I know. Well, yeah, I, I know, but the, but I know it's uh, what what time of night? I mean, the the actual <coughs> like words there, right? I mean, it, it sounds like some kind of riddle that Yoda would pose to you, right? Or I mean, it's just um, <laughs> like or like something that Odysseus had to solve or something like in his fight with a chimera. It's just like what what is. What and morning comes and night also, um, yeah. I know it, it. It is cryptic on on the outset, but like, but let's just take it. Uh, just first things first. So, wh where is um, this Duma place or Seir? What 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 part of the world are we talking about? Uh, Duma is uh, one. Well, the man Duma was one of the Ishmaelites, one of the twelve sons of Ishmael, and of course Ishmael settles in what is now Arabia. And so I think Duma is used as a description of one of the tribes in the Arabian Peninsula. Um, and so when we're dealing with these um, these various groups within um, the within Arabia, we're still seeing the uh, the effects of what's going on in um, with with Babylon coming with the, the the military problems, all of the tumult that's going on in the world, which we'll also see with Arabia talking about refugees and that sort of thing. So again, this is a question of the world is in turmoil, and um, Isaiah looks not only you know far east to where Babylon is, but also a little closer, a little you know not far east in in the Arabian desert in that area. So would you agree with that? 
with that placement. Yeah, no, and I think that, I mean, in some ways it's just, I mean, the easier thing is that it's just we have a straight-up name there, and it's just sort of like, hey, we, we kind of, we, we, we've we seen Duma there, and we, we, we know, like, Sayer, okay, yeah, those are familiar names. We're not kind of left with, like, you know, marshy wilderness uh, in, of right. the sea or something like that, and so we're not kind of, like, just scratching our heads. But, yeah, so, I, yeah, Arabian Peninsula. Um, but so then... So then the question, though, is just, okay, so what do you, what do you make of what he's actually saying, though? And as you were saying, like, there's some, there's something, um, about tumult, um, and tribulation, right? There's, there's this watchman motif that keeps coming on here, right? So that, that's something, it's a new oracle, but it's, it's keeping that same kind of watchman thing going on. So, I mean, I mean, wh- wh- why do you get this stuff about like Watchmen? What time is it? And Watchmen, like morning comes, also the night. Like, wh- what what do you think about that? Because I mean, to be fair, sure. that that part is kind of the riddle, right? Well, there's a couple of things I think going on here. And first of all, Dumas it could also be a little bit of a play on words. Mm-hmm. Um, Dumas is used in two of the Psalms to as a word which also means silence. Oh, and sure. So this. Yeah this pronouncement of silence and the, it kind of fits very well with the, uh, the not very straightforward answer that the watchman gives, mm-hmm. um, soon this, the silence that is coming upon, but also uh, seer is the Mount is Mount seer to the, the South of Israel, which is talking about the possession of Edom. In other words, the possessions of the sons of lot, as we learn in Deuteronomy. And so this is really looking forward to, what is going to happen to the Edomites? What is going to happen to, you know, the, the Arabian Peninsula? You know, what is going to happen to all these enemies who are surrounding Israel? Mm-hmm. Because unfortunately, the, the sons of Lot had become the enemies of Israel as well. And, you know, they're, they're brethren, but that's, that's just how it goes. Right. Um, and then the, the question itself, you know, what, what of the night what time of the night, what time of the night, is a, is a question of, you know, how much longer? I mean, you think of like a, a child saying, are we there yet, right? <laughs> um, it's the question of how much longer do I need to wait until this tumult comes to an end? How much right. longer do I need to wait until I finally see the dawn again? You know, it's just, it's so dark and black around me. I want to see the dawn again. Um, but then the the question the the reply that comes is well kind of a bleak one actually in my opinion um, the morning is coming yes but also the night in other words Edom is looking forward not to a dawn like um, Israel is but frankly to another night because Edom will be swallowed up by all this, the successive empires so that well they no longer exist there is no remnant of Edom hmm. right. Yeah, no, that, 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 that's, that's true. I mean, yeah, you're right. I mean, and we we saw that with the oracle with Moab, right? That actually we we saw in the in the Moab oracle that Moab goes and there's a remnant, and they go down to Edom to take refuge. Um, that, and I think actually we, it was mentioned. Uh, I think Seir was even mentioned, perhaps uh, among those different places in Edom. And so there's Moab, and then they're they're making inquiry of Judah that they would be able to go into Judah then from Edom. Um, and of course, with this oracle now on the table, you're thinking to yourself, and it's a good thing that they would go to Judah because um, might not be a good idea to hang around and eat him for very long. But so, so that that's actually the thing, though, for me, 
it just seems to be be very natural that we're talking about the same kind of calamity as the Moab or, oracle that like it, it it seems to like just fit like a glove into like what we were talking about with the Moab oracle and and that um is interesting because that would then refer to the Assyrians coming and just kind of knocking everybody over um like dominoes and so it's like they start up in the north and you know take over Damascus and and Samaria they work their way down south and they hit Moab then they hit Edom and it's just kind of like one by one and yeah and eventually they're you know hauling away exiles from you know Cush and Egypt all the way down south right but um in in that sense it is as weird as the actual language is it feels to me like it would make good sense in a straightforward way that this is just referring to the continued Assyrian onslaught. But I mean, what do you, what do you think about that in terms of, of referent? Yeah, no, I, I think that's, I think that's the point because, you know, they're, they're looking for relief. They're looking for deliverance from the night, um, from the oncoming of the, the, the armies, in this case, the Assyrians. But the prophet is basically saying, you know, as of right now, there is no, I can't, you know, I can't see an end to it. It's just night continuously. Yeah. And so that, the the armies are uh, this nation is being swept away before the 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 approach of night. Yeah, well, and and that and that is um, I I want to like kind of just spend maybe just a minute talking about that before we go on to Arabia then. But okay. yeah, I mean it's the uh, I I totally agree with you. It's like you know a watchman like you know how much of the night is left. You know, are we there yet? Right. I mean, because you know you think about how this worked. They they were on shifts, right? They were on different watches. And so it's sort of like, you know, when's, you know, how much longer do I have before it's my turn or, you know, before this stuff happens? I mean, yeah, this is sort of normal changing of the guard stuff. But the, the, the reply, right, morning comes and also the night. Um, that's, that's the thing that's, that's really just like, what on earth? Um, and, and I think what you said makes a lot of sense out of it that like maybe it's like the morning is coming in the sense of, you know the event that we're talking about is 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 about to happen right um but that maybe it means that Edom is about to be plunged into darkness because as we said um in numbers it's very interesting how god is like hey you don't mess with with Edom and we're not going to go to war with Moab you know because these are like your cousins basically right i mean you, right. you mentioned it earlier right. I mean, these are the, the guys who are related through um, through Esau and Lot, right? So God at first is being merciful to them and saying, like, hey, we're not gonna, you're not gonna go go to war with them. If they say you have to go around the long way, then you go around the long way. You, you know, you pay them some respect. But because of what happens in Numbers, um, Moab leading Israel astray into idolatry, um, because of some of these things that have happened along the way, the wickedness that has occurred since then, it does seem like this is uh, a more a more final judgment that's that's coming up and you know it certainly you don't see Edom on the map today right right exactly yeah and and we should and with that too i mean it it sounds kind of bleak but again the point is is that this does bring a comfort for the people of god because when we know that god's justice will prevail that God has not forgotten the the injuries done to his people, but will bring them, you know, bring a full justice upon Israel's enemies, upon the church's enemies. 
we can look at passages like this and actually see a, a wonderful comfort in it, a wonderful gospel even, um, that God has is going to bring us this deliverance, this freedom, which we cry for and which we long for. So but we should go on to Arabia. So we, 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 we really, we really should. We really should. Um, the, the last thing I was just going to like kind of throw out there, but probably you're right. We probably don't have the time to give it a full discussion is that it, it sounds weird there. Um, in the English, and it's because the Hebrew is a kind of a bit weird too. And other people have suggested other ways of translating this, so that maybe it's not morning comes and also the night, but maybe it's something like, um, well, morning's coming, but it's still nighttime. Um, if you want to come back and ask again, you can, you know, sure, you come back and you know, ask me later. But kind of, and that might fit with what you were saying about the the merciful side to all this that maybe there's this sense of like, it seems really dark right now. And like the morning is a, is a long way off and we want the morning to come really badly. And we're just like, when will the morning come? When will the morning come? But maybe there is a morning, even though it feels a long way off, you know, so that it's, I, I like the interpretation. I'm not saying I think it's the right one necessarily. Cause that's again, one where I honestly have a hard time making up my mind, but it does, I think, highlight the long-suffering, patient side of God that you know, maybe there isn't like any, you know, Edom on the map anymore, but that doesn't mean that there's no survivors or that no one from Edom didn't join themselves to, to Judah up north along with those Moabites, right, who are also making sure. their way up north, so that maybe there is something still of a morning, um, even though thing, uh, things seem really bleak. So just... A thought, but we sure. have to, as you said, press on. So, the, the, I know, I know, it's just she's mer a merciless pace, right? On sharper iron, we we would just take one of these. Um. Oh, that's fine. That's fine. <laughs> but all right, so here's here's Arabia then with verse thirteen, Arabia Oracle, the Oracle concerning Arabia. In the thickets in Arabia you will lodge, uh, O caravans of Dadanites, to the thirsty bring water. Meet the fugitive with bread, O inhabitants of the land of Tema, for they have fled from the swords, from the drawn sword, from the bent bow, and from the press of battle. So another really short one here. Okay, so we were just talking about the Arabian Peninsula. So is this talking about the same place, or what? what do you think? Yeah, and I think what's happening here is just kind of a a general look of Arabia, because like in other places in uh, the Bible, like in Jeremiah chapter 25, Arabia is described as a land of mixed tribes. Um, so it's just this kind of huge group of people that kind of all live in this area, generally Ishmaelites, generally nomadic, um, the kind of people who are traders, um, but they're also kind of... Um, I don't know what you want to call them heathens because you know they're mm -hmm. they're circumcised in the flesh but that's it they don't worship god um right. this 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 whole area is going to be under the pressure coming from the further east with the battles and the wars that are going on and so we see this this imagery of refugees from the uh, coming you know fleeing from swords fleeing from bows fleeing from battle and so it's it's the image of a people in flight because of war. And so right. 
that that's really the it's kind of continuing all of the imagery of this chapter of the the coming battle the coming overthrow and kind of the fallout that will come from it right and, and not unlike what we read about the moabites that the moabites would be running away and trying to seek refuge and be granted asylum and refugee status um this mm-hmm. idea that you know here's these fugitives and that there would be some care for them, that they would find some respite and some food and some relief from what's going on, that there would be, if you if you take perhaps the, the alternative translation of, the, of that second oracle, that there would finally be a morning after this long, long night. Um, and, and that maybe is what's going on in the last little portion here, if I can just sneak that in really quick, the last two verses. Sure. For thus the Lord said to me, Within a year, according to the years of a hired worker, all the glory of Kedar will come to an end, and the remainder of the archers of the mighty men of the sons of Kedar will be few, for the Lord, the God of Israel, has spoken. And and so uh, what's interesting is that if it is these guys from Kedar who are the ones who are pursuing, if they're the ones who are drawing the bow and um, uh, drawing the sword rather and bending the bow, right? Then mm-hmm. perhaps this is the God's way of saying that there is going to be relief and that these guys who are giving chase to all these poor people um, are, are finally going to be brought to an end. Right. Well, and you get this also in uh, Isaiah chapter 42, which you'll get to eventually. Uh, Kedar is occupying territory in Israel. So, yeah, these these Ishmaelites, because Kedar is also an Ishmaelite tribe, um, are basically taking advantage of the the turmoil to you know try to conquer some territory for themselves. And we see the God promising that their glory, you know, the threat that they bring, will actually come to an end. And it's actually kind of beautiful how he says, uh, in a year, according to the years of a hired worker, and which I interpret to mean that is exactly because a worker is always very you know, precise about how he measures out his time so he can get mm-hmm. paid, right? Right. Um, and so this idea is is that within a year, and yeah. I mean this literally, Kadar will come to nothing. You know, right. what a what a tremendous comfort that must be for the people hearing this prophecy. Right. Yeah, that that God is finally going to I mean, soon. <laughs> soon, right? Like you keep asking, you know, is is it over? Is it over? Is it over yet? Soon. Right. And that's certainly the question for us, too, that as we ask, you know, like the persistent widow, like, when will I have justice? When will I have justice? God is going to be coming soon through his son, Jesus, to give us deliverance. Well, brother, thank you so much for joining us and being so brave as to take Isaiah 21 for us here. And uh, yeah, please come back soon. And I imagine that the chapter will be much easier. (laughs) Thank you. Good to be on. Appreciate it, everybody. That was Pastor Zelman Heidi, pastor of Redeemer Lutheran Church and also St. Peter Lutheran Church in Grassy Butte in Belfield, North Dakota. Thanks for joining us on Thy Strong Word. Moving on to Isaiah 22 next time. Check out our underwriters at lhfmissions.org, Lutheran Heritage Foundation. Till next time. Your support is vital for this program to continue. You can make a gift safe, secure, and easily online at kfuo.org. Thank you for listening and supporting Thy Strong Word.